So this story uh, kind of comes from all over the place. I think it started with a missionary that was in Africa, and then he told it to a guy named Brian Chapel who wrote it in a book, and then I read it in another book, so it's kind of all over the place. But uh, I want you to imagine, uh, so this, this story takes place in a, in a tribe in Africa, and I want you guys, all you kids, and grown-ups too, this is fun for everybody, think of the strongest person you know. Hopefully it's your dad, right? Yeah, your dad is the strongest person on the planet. Um, so, you know, so think of the strongest person you know, so like your dad or, or whoever, you know, big, strong guy. And this, this tribe, the way they pick their king is they look for the best man, that he's really kind, he's loving, he's wise, he's also really strong, right? So he's just kind of like a great guy. Now, they're, they're getting ready to have this celebration, okay, and they're... They're kind of on their way into the main part of town to have the celebration. And so the, the chief of the tribe, who remember, he's really strong. He's also he's kind and he's wise. And he's, he's uh, in really fancy clothes, right? So imagine he's got maybe a big, a big something on his head and he's got a fancy, fancy gown. Or not gown, yeah, that doesn't sound strong to me, but fancy garments. Uh, okay, and so he's he's walking he's walking in because they're gonna have this big festival. They're really really excited. Well, then something bad happens, and some one of the the people in the village they fall down into this deep well. So they fall way down in this big deep hole, and they break their leg. It's clear down at the bottom, and nobody else in the tribe is strong enough to get this guy out. He's down in the bottom of this deep, deep hole with a broken leg, and he can't get out. And, and nobody's big enough and strong enough to help him get out. And so some of the people around there say, do you know who we should talk to? We should talk to the chief, because he is the... He's the strongest, right? So if anybody can do it, he can do it. So he goes, and he's, he's coming by, so he looks down in the hole. It's a long ways down there. But there's kind of a ladder that's, that's kind of tough. He's going to have to climb down. And so what he does, he takes his, his fancy headdress off and he takes his, his garments off. So he's kind of down in just like normal, like servant's type clothing. And he climbs this ladder all the way down. And he takes this, this man with the broken leg who's cleared out of the bottom as well. He, he lifts him carefully up on his shoulder and he carries, he carries him out. Right? He saves, he saves him. Saves the day, right? Go chief. So I have a question, kids. Are you ready? Put your thinking caps on. Right? Was the chief any less important when he took his fancy clothes off? No. Was he any less the chief? No. Did he have any less power or authority or rule over any of those people at all? No, right? But he, he took them off for a little bit so that he could do what needed to be done to raise them in now. And so why I tell that story? Does anybody know? Any, any smarties out there maybe know what they think this story is about? Zeke, what do you think? So Zeke says, in case you can hear, even though God was, is, was and is all-powerful, he, he came down and took on flesh, 
uh, but that didn't mean he was any less powerful. So what do you what do you guys think? Is Zeke right? Yeah, I think Zeke's right. I think he nailed it. I think he nailed it. Great job, Zeke. Yeah, and so part part of what we're going to see in our in our passage today is it's going to talk about Jesus coming down. And sometimes as grown-ups, we get we can get confused and we can think, did did Jesus become less powerful, less God when he took on flesh? And and no, he didn't. Sometimes kids get that better than grown-ups. So maybe when you guys get home after service, you guys can help your parents understand that God, that Jesus did not uh, get any less powerful when he took on flesh. When he was uh, when he was on earth, he was still just as powerful as he had always been. Okay? That makes sense? Okay, cool. Okay, so today, our passage, if you guys want to flip uh, there with me, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, and we are going to go from verse 1 down through verse 11. So you can flip there. But before we do, I want to give a recap quickly of where we've been in Philippians so far. Because as you get to Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1 starts with the word so, which kind of means, hey, I talked about some stuff, and now I'm going to connect that to some other stuff. So I'm going to just kind of remind us of what the first stuff was. So um, our first passage three weeks ago. Uh, we talked about how Paul was thankful for other believers and he gave thanks to God for them. He also uh, prayed for them. He prayed for their spiritual health. He prayed for um, that, that God would grow them up, that they would be uh, kind of rooted in Christ, that they would be approved for his excellence, um, that they would love one another well. And then the next week, Sean uh, preached and we talked about how Paul was in prison. Um, and he was able to, to focus on what was important and, and trust in God, even though he's in really bad circumstances. And then also um, that uh, there were some people preaching uh, the gospel uh, out of bad motives. But, but Paul says, like, hey, if the gospel is being preached and it's the gospel, then great. I'm happy about that. And so the ultimate thing is the gospel moving forward. God will glorify it and not our circumstances or Kind of those individual things. And then last week, Ben preached um, the end of chapter one, and we talked about um, to live as Christ, to die as gain, and again, ultimately, Christ is the main thing. Christ is ultimate, um, whether we're alive and, and we're living here and we're serving Him, or, or we die, we get to be with Him. Christ is the motivation in all that we do. Like He is, He is supreme. He's over and above everything. And so that. That's kind of where we have been. And, and really today, a lot of it is kind of a recap of that. Paul's going to say kind of those, some of those same things again, highlighting different little pieces. And so we're going to read the passage now. So again, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, you are good. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, that we can know you. And not only that we can know you, but that we can uh, be in your family. As we read today about what you did through Christ for us, I pray that that would, that that would change us, that we'd be affected, that that would change how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, how we think about you, uh, our actions, and our motivations, that they would all be rooted in you and your glory. Alright, so it starts with so, and it says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathies, we have a whole list of like good things. If any of these things are good, um, then kind of listen to what I'm going to say. And, and as I've read through this, a lot of commentaries agree that you could you could rightly replace the word if there with like since or because. It's not it's not a question like, well, if this happens, then the other thing. It's like, no, we know that all of those things that he lists there in verse one, those are true. And so because you could read it because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort from love, because of uh, participation in the Spirit, because we have affection and sympathy. Uh, and so he's, he's listing some of the blessings that, that go along with the Christian life, with following Christ. Uh, and he's going to talk about unity, he's going to talk about humility, he's going to talk about the work of Christ. But he's starting not with a command, not with a directive, do this thing, don't do that thing. But he's starting with a blessing. And this is just kind of a, a general a general truth, but, but you see this pretty frequently in Scripture where we see the, the blessings and the good things before we see uh, a command or, or a directive. And I think like, that's just a good mindset to have when we, when we talk to people. Like, we shouldn't say, like, do these things or else, or do these things and maybe you'll get something. Like, carry at the end, but like, hey, there's there's blessing in Christ. There is goodness. There is mercy. There is grace. We have uh, affection. And then it's like, well, oh, how do I get that? I want, those are things that I want. Uh, and so, uh, Paul, Paul, I think, is doing that. He's, he's being affected in, in highlighting what we're, what we're looking at here. And, and the idea that he goes into next in verse 2, he says, complete my joy, being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so that idea, he says, kind of that one mind, same mind, same love, full accord is, is the idea of unity. It's kind of a, a way to encompass that. So he's saying, like, we, we should have unity. If we have, if we have all these things, because we have all these things, we should be unified. Right? We should have 
uh, unity. And I think we need to be careful about what, what unity is and, and just careful of the wording here. Uh, being of the same mind, the same love, and, and it says on one mind. I think we want to be careful that that's not saying that we have like hive mind where we all think the exact same thoughts all the time, right? And I don't, I don't think that's what unity is because God, God has made all of us different. We have different uh, perspectives. We have different things, but there is, there is, there is one truth. And if we focus on the one truth, then we can agree to compromise on the smaller other things, and then we can have unity, right? So if we are focusing on this and We'll reveal the end here that that one thing is Jesus. So there you go. Um, but if we're focusing on that, then as we have disagreements about maybe how to go about doing this or that, or um, what's the best way to reach reach people in the community, what's the best way to whatever. Uh, if we're focused on what's important, we're loving one another, we're seeing uh, the grace that we have. Um, in Christ, we're seeing people as Christ sees them, as um, as children made in his, his image and, and things like that. Then, we can have unity even when we have disagreement. Like we can move forward through that. And I think that's important. Uh, moving on into verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so he goes from have the same mind, same love, being in full accord, and then he switches gears, so that's kind of a collective statement, like all of you guys think this way, and then kind of seems like more individually, so do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, don't look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we've gone from unity into humility. Right? That's, that's the shift. And those are, I think, related topics. And clearly Paul was saying that if we, uh, if we have unity, then we are made up of people who have humility. Like as an individual, we want to be humble. Uh, and one thing with, with both of those two Two words. Those are good words. Those are things we, we want in our church. We want a church that has unity. We want to be people who are humble. And we want a church who is humble. But, and this is where this passage is going to shift when we go to verse 5. And this is a really important shift. And it's not, he's not uh, totally switching gears and saying, like, hey, I'm talking about something new and different now. He's explaining things. And in this passage, when we look from 1 to 11, what I think Paul is doing is he's talking about, like, visibly what's most obvious and getting more specific, right? So we're looking at symptoms first and, and kind of working your way. So think about a doctor, right? If you go in and you're, you're limping, right, you can see a limp, right? And if your leg is crooked, you can see your leg is crooked, right? So those are like the first things. But then underneath that, there's some, there's some other stuff going on, right? So what's, what's actually going on underneath? And that's when he shifts, he's talking about um, what is the underlying cause of humility? What is the underlying cause of uh, unity? And I, I, I really believe that if we as a church go after unity hard, we're going to miss the mark. 
Because I think we can be unified around a whole lot of things that aren't Jesus. Right? And, and then when we, when we agree, at some point things will get difficult, and if we don't have some sort of common thing binding us together, we lose unity. And the same is true with humility. If we, if we just strive to be people who are nice and care about other people and, and just general do-gooders who, who don't get a lot of stuff for ourselves, that's nice. But what's the purpose? Like, what's the goal there? I think we end up being people who are either self-deprecating or have this kind of like uh, hidden pride where we, we do things and, and hope people notice, but we kind of keep it hush-hush. Right, so if, if we're looking at what's important, and that's where uh, Paul is going to shift gears. So unity for unity's sake is not, is not what we're after. Humility for humility's sake is not what we're after. Where do those things come from? How do we get that? Because we want to get that. We want to be unified, and we want to be humble. But we need a course to get to there in the right way. And so, so how do we do that? And this is where Paul shifts gears. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the mind, the, the unity. So humility and unity, that's the mind that he's talking about. It's yours in Christ Jesus. And then he says, who? Like, all right, so now I'm talking about Jesus. This mind that we have is ours in Christ, not separate from Christ. It's not a nice add-on that makes us better-looking Christians. It's ours in Christ. And so who is he? What did he do? How does what he did impact how we think and how we are motivated and how we grow more and more into his image? And so 6 through 11, we have this really rich, full teaching about Christ. This, this full theology that is just wonderful. And I, I love this passage, 1 through 11, because I feel like any, anyone can read this and get something from it. Like, um, we should, very, like, very simple truths like, um, don't look to your own interests, look to the interests of others. That's a simple thing that even a non-Christian would say, like, yeah, that's, a, that's generally a good thing. But then we also have this, this 6 through 11 where you could, you could meditate over that passage for the rest of your life and never plumb the depths of all that is in those few verses. And that's, that's just me about how scripture works. So what we're going to see in the second, second part of this passage is, uh, if you can imagine kind of a V-shape, right? So we're going to start with the like exalted Christ, and then it's going to work us through uh, what in scripture we, we call his, his humiliation. So he's he's being brought low, and then the second part he's going to be exalted. Okay, so that, that's kind of as as we look through this second part, six through eleven. That's what we're going to see. He's going to start. We're going to start with with truth of who Christ is and has always been. And then we're going to see his dissension, and then him being elevated again. Uh, I'm just going to read that, that part. Uh, so Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we start with, um, he, is, he is God. He had pre-existent glory. So Jesus uh, is not a created being. He has always existed. Um, we see that in a lot of places in Scripture. John 1-1 is probably the most common uh, one that people point out. Um, which says... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we go on... Uh, Later, we, we see that revealed that, uh, and it's it's Jesus, it's Christ, and so He has always existed. Uh, but in verse six, what we see is that He didn't use His position as leverage for His own advantage. Uh, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so we we talked about this when we talked about humility uh, a few months ago. But but Jesus, uh, fully God. All the way God, but um, he he didn't wield that like four times like the chief setting down his headdress. He didn't become less powerful. He didn't become less God, but he he lowered himself for a time um, to save us. Uh, Tozer says uh, he veiled his deity, but he did not fully veil his deity. Um, and then sometimes people say, remaining all that he was, he became what he wasn't. So Jesus was always God, always uh, powerful. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, <clears throat> sorry, he emptied himself in taking the form of a servant. And this is, we point this out all the time. Uh, Jesus, uh, in Mark 10, 45, we see the Son of Man came not to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me. Like, I feel like that is a check I have to ask myself all the time. In, in a relationship I'm pursuing, in a, as, I, as I walk into church service on Sunday, as I parent my kids, as I spend time with my wife, am I looking to be served or am I looking to serve? Like, the Son of Man, like God came to earth, and what did he expect? What did he do? If anybody, if anybody ever could say, like, yeah, just serve me, like that, that was him, that's not what he did. And so that's that's something I have to remind myself all the time. And it is a, a box that I I fail far more often than I would like. Uh, and then, you know, countless other stories. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. You know, and they say, like, oh, I'm not worthy. He says, like, oh, this, is, this is why I'm here. Like, if, if, if I can't wash your feet, then I mean, there's, what are we here for? And so he, uh, he came as a servant. Uh, he humbled himself, he lowered himself, and he was a servant to all. <laughs>
king of creation, washing feet. Uh, he died. He, he spent time with people that nobody wanted to spend time with. All of those like things that we should we should think about. Uh, have a have a quote that I feel like helps helps explain this, and I kind of have it on one slides here. But uh, I told them earlier, I kind of hate C.S. Lewis sometimes because when I'm listening to a sermon, I think uh, when people who see us in sports, I think like. And then I prepare for a sermon, and I'm trying to explain this idea about something, and I find this wonderfully elegant and simple explanation that just makes things so clear and good, and it's always CSLS. So anyway, here's my here's my uh, token C.S. Lewis quote, uh, but it is it is really good, and I don't really hate C.S. Lewis. He's a wonderful gift to us. But, um, so here it is. In the Christian story, God descends to reason. He comes down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come back up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One is a picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great, complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Uh, I, I feel like that. I get this place. I've read the bunch of times. But, Jesus made himself so low. But he did it like, like this uh, says, like he did it. And then he, he stood up with all with all of it, all of the sin and all of the burden, all of the, the death and destruction and brokenness in the world, uh, like conquered. And, and we're waiting for him to come and and completely uh, do away with it. But uh, but it doesn't it doesn't stay with him under that burden. We see in verse nine it shifts gears. Um, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, uh, that's, a big, that's a big shift pretty quickly. He went from death to name above every name in about, you know, what, five, five or six words? So that's pretty quick, pretty quick ascension on the way up, but uh, he's worth it. So, um, this, I think we can read things like this as, as Christians, people who, uh, if you grew up in church or just have been around church for any amount of time, we can read things like, God has highly exalted him, uh, bestowed upon him the name above every name, uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We read those things and just say, yeah, of course he is, right? But this is, this is a pretty bold statement for Paul to make. It's true, but this statement causes a lot of problems for people. Right here. So two main main groups in power right now in this time in the world where Paul's writing this. Okay, you got 
uh, Rome, obviously, and you have Jewish people. Like that's kind of primarily where he's balancing between parts of you know the Roman Empire getting closer and closer to there, like as he's closer to Jerusalem, Jewish leaders, things like that. And these statements are big, 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 big problems for both of those groups. So, uh, in the in this first century time, uh, emperor worship was was becoming more and more popular. So people actually worshipped Caesar as a as a deity, as a god. And so Caesar is Lord. It was a common common thing. Like that's that's what people would say. And they would worship Caesar. They would burn incense to him, and uh, they kind of uh, like a divine line of kings. They are they are born they're like gods on earth. And remember, uh, Philippi is a very very Roman colony. So like, tons of Roman influence, all governed by Roman law. So saying somebody other than Caesar is lord in this area is like people would be killed for stuff like that. And in Acts we see stories of that. So Acts seventeen verse six and seven. Uh, this is a different person, different place, but same idea. Um, and they could not find when they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. So, like, just saying that somebody is king or lord besides Caesar is a problem. Also, for. Uh, the Jews, it would be a problem because a whole lot of scripture and them not understanding who Jesus was, we see things in scripture like, I forget which one I have first. What's the next one? Okay. Uh, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to Carthage. So this is God saying, I am the Lord and I don't give glory to anyone else. But in this passage, we see God giving glory to Jesus. So that seems, it seems problematic. We also uh, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We also see in Psalms, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. And so for, for Jewish people, that I like they're blaspheming against Yahweh. There is one God, and he doesn't share glory. And so we have a problem. So Paul is kind of alienating himself and these Philippian believers against really everyone who kind of in the world at that time that he had contact with. And, and so we, we talked about this a little bit in the kids' sermon. Uh, but uh, God isn't glorifying someone else. He's glorifying Jesus and Jesus is glorified and they are one but they are distinct and, and we see this idea, Jesus talks about this a lot of different ways uh, but Jesus is robbing glory from the Father he's not depriving the Father of glory Jesus, his mission is to exalt the Father to glorify the Father um, they mutually glorify one another we see that in, in John 17 when Jesus had spoken these words he lifted his eyes to heaven and said Father the hour has come, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they will know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Uh, and so they, they are both working for the glory of God. Uh, so, we talked about unity, we talked about humility, and then we talked about Jesus and who he is and what he did a little bit. So what's our application? What are we, we going to do with this? Uh, and so we talked a little bit about we can't just, we can't just run at unity without, without looking to the gospel. We can't just run at humility without looking to the gospel. We need to run at the gospel and know that those things are going to come along. If, if, we, if we strive for unity for unity's sake, that'd be like uh, going to a doctor with a broken leg and looking at our symptoms and saying, your leg is broken, uh, I notice that you're limping, so why don't you try to walk without a limb, and then that should fix your broken leg. Right? And that uh, does not work. So, I'm not a medical doctor, so, but I, I believe we have somebody checking on that later. Uh, and so, so we're just going to be we're just going to be rooting ourselves in foolishness and hypocrisy if we try to get the fruits of the spirit without the spirit. If we're not striving after God, we're we're, we're looking for the benefits of knowing God without without knowing God. And so we're, we're building ourselves an idol, an idol of unity or an idol of humility or or whatever other good Christian virtues that we might throw out there, if we're we're striving after those and not striving after a relationship with God and being more conformed to the image of the Son, we miss it. So some things that you can do, uh, I think, that are helpful in growing in humility, because we do want to grow in humility. And so what can we do? I think we can grow in humility by reflecting on the cross of Christ. The perfect and ultimate example of humility. We can grow in humility by reflecting on the glory of Christ. We can grow in humility by reflecting on God's word, uh, which reveals those things to us. I think a huge way that we as believers can grow in humility is through prayer. Uh, And I mean earnest prayer, where we look at our own inadequacies, our brokenness, our sin, we confess those things, we, we make petitions for other people, we know that we are helpless apart from the work of Christ, and I believe that that work transforms us uh, into his image, which makes us more humble. And then, and then also, uh, practically, we can, we can show, we can grow in humility by, by serving others. Now, that last one, I don't think works unless you do the other four, but I think doing, doing work, like actual, uh, tangible idols, like Jesus did, following in his footsteps and doing the job that maybe we don't want to do, uh, And so, humility uh, is seeing ourselves and others in the light of the gospel. We want to grow in that. And, and Jesus didn't seek his own glory, uh, but uh, he sought the glory of the one who sent him, and that is what we should do all the time. Jesus, uh, he didn't, uh, he didn't overstep, you know, we see time where he says, like, the time, now is not the time for that. Uh, So he held back at times, but also, 
he didn't, he didn't shy away from, from the big moments that got called into, like the feeding of the 5,000 other. And I think, I think we, as broken people, can either overstep and think, my opinion matters more than these people, so I'm going to you know, run over top of them, or um, I'm not gifted in that way, so I'm going to shy back. Kind of like Aaron, uh, or uh, Moses not, not feeling like he's capable of speaking. But like, if God calls you to do something, even if it's something you're not comfortable with, that's what you should do. Whether, whether that is hiding, like, not hiding, but like being behind the scenes more, or maybe that is being in front more, even if that's something you're not comfortable with. Uh, and so I think, I think we, see, we see that. Um, Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe humility looks, looks more like you know, setting aside some pride and letting other people step forward and serve more, having more of a voice. Maybe humility looks like throwing off self-doubt and stepping forward. And so that, I think it can look either way. Uh, the main thing that I want us to take away from this is that church unity is a symptom and humility. But church unity and humility are symptoms of a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, Spirit-empowered group of believers working together in humility for the glory of God. We don't get those things other places. And so if we want if we want that, and what I believe this passage is teaching us, and then we're gonna transition and take the Lord's Supper, which Sean will come up and introduce, but as we read this, what I really believe this passage is teaching us and why he's linking these things together. Unity, humility, and in this deep teaching of Christ is because uh, if we want those things, we need to know more about the person and work of Christ. We need to strive after him. We need to uh, be more like him. We need to love people the way that he loved people. We need to serve people the way that he served people. We need to look at other people the way that he looked at other people. And then we will find ourselves in a place of humility. We will find ourselves unified together under the gospel, working forward for the common goal of the glory of God. And the passage ends, I, I cut it off before, but every time we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So like everything we do as a church is to the glory of God the Father. Right? We seek Christ. We, we humble ourselves, we work together, we work hard to know more of who he is, to, to pray for our city, to love our city, to share the gospel in our city, uh, to transform the brokenness in our city and make it look more like the kingdom of God. And we do that for the glory of God. Uh, I'll pray. Father, you are good. And your ways are good. We thank you that you sent Christ to do for us what we could never hope to do for ourselves. I pray that we would we would look to that not just uh, with with gratitude, but that we would look to that with a longing that we could be more like Him. That we would not just seek the benefits of what He's purchased for us, but that we would seek to know and fellowship with Him. With you. Would you change this today?